biggest fascist system, a worldwide fascist system that's ever existed on the planet. During the Cold War, and this is declassified information now, the MI6 of Britain and the Commonwealth countries and the CIA of the U.S. pretty well took over the whole culture industry. But not only that, they created all the left-wing groups. The idea being that if they created the biggest left-wing groups, then all those who were, had beasts uh, to carry would join them and to be led along harmless roads. We're back with more after the following messages. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows hey, folks. On our back with cutting through the matrix and going over the fact that the security agencies, the big secret services, were in charge of both sides of the left and the right wings during the Cold War in the whole of Europe and across the Americas. They funded and sponsored and trained people to be leaders, the idea being that those who would become radical or had the possibility of being radical and had big beefs on their to carry around with them would join pre-existing groups. However, these pre-existing groups would be led by trained agents, basically. But not only that, they had the whole Cold War mapped out, just as they had World War II mapped out when you read the old books of the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations. They had world meetings before World War II, where they had mapped out the world, including Canada's future, right in and beyond the year 2000. Well, it's the same thing that's ongoing today. The big foundations and the big universities are hand-in-glove with the governments and corporate sponsors, which is called fascism, basically. And they're going full steam ahead with the next part of the global governance. And from Mark who sent me some information on this particular organization. I'm going to read his email. He said, Jim Balsilli leads the creation of the new Canadian International Council. The Council for International, the CIIA, to reestablish as the CIC in partnership with the CIGI. This is like something from Italy. And the Monk Center. This is Toronto, Ontario, September 6, 2007. Jim Vasili, co-CEO of Research in Motion, that's called RIM, announced today a new partnership among the Canadian Institute of International Affairs. Now, that's the, the Canadian branch of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Australia, New Zealand, and some other countries have theirs too. It's all the same agency. In non-Commonwealth countries, it's called the CFR, or Council on Foreign Relations. So they formed a new, a new partnership amongst the Canadian Institute for International Affairs, the Centre for International Governance, Innovation, CIGI, and the Monk Centre for International Studies at the University of Toronto through the Canadian International Council. Alcilly unveiled the new Canadian International Council after receiving an honorary degree from the University of Trinity College at the University of Toronto. The CIC will establish an important national fellowship program, the 
The Council plans to fund annually 20 fellows from the leading ranks of academic, public service and business communities to collaborate in tackling major issues in foreign policy. So, so why are they getting involved in foreign policy, you might ask yourself, because don't we have a Department of Foreign Affairs? Well, of course we do. But you see, the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Canadian Institute for International Affairs have always been running your international affairs from the very beginning. They're all in cahoots, always have been in cahoots. So they go on here to say, foreign policy such as energy, trade, and arms control. Fellows will base their work at universities across the country. The program will be headquartered at the Monk Centre in Toronto. That's M-U-N-K. The CIC promises to transform the debate about un- and understanding of Canadian foreign policy. I've got to laugh at that one. Transform the debate. I mean, when has the public ever been involved in any debate about foreign policy? We're the last to know what's going on. And any debate that's going on is within the Institute for International Affairs itself because that's where all the debating takes place. The CIC will receive $1 million in seed funding from Balsili, who, as chair, is leading further fundraising efforts in the Canadian corporate community. So there you are, your big foundations again with our front men pretending that they're going to do charitable goods uh, for, for the world, uh, very, very much along the way of, of do good for poor people, etc., etc. But they're all connected with the, the United Nations. You'll find most of the big players in the left-wing circles in Canada and the Commonwealth countries, when they left politics, went to the United Nations to work for the Department of Overseas Development. They get big funding from the taxpayer of the different countries, and they sink it into their fascist pals, big corporate pockets, who set up plants or oil fields or something in someone else's country. That's where the money's always gone. And as I say, they're on both sides of it. So this goes on to see here, the dinner will also celebrate Angel Juria, Secretary General of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development as Globalist of the Year. The fundraising effort represents a major new source of support in the field of foreign policy development, which has struggled for decades for research dollars. What a joke. The partnership will enable the new CIC to look forward and increase the visibility and credibility of the CIIA's extensive national network, says Douglas Gould, incoming president of the CIC. The CIIA intends to incorporate its operations into the CIC. I love, I love this stuff. You need a whole new dictionary to, to talk here in order to further build upon the relationship that was established last year with the CIGI. <laughs> with additional capacity now created through the participation of the Monk Centre in the new council. CIGI is committed to supporting this exciting new partnership through which its research on important international issues can find a Canadian expression, says Professor John English, Executive Director of CIGI. The Canadian International Council will build on the reputation of the Canadian Institute for International Affairs as a non-partisan, ha-ha-ha, non-profit, he-he-he, national forum, ho-ho-ho-ho, which over a thousand members across Canada and 13 branches from coast to coast are engaging leaders outside government who recognize the importance of Canada's role in the world and how important it is for our future generations of Canadians, for this country to define that role, says Professor Janice Grossstein, director of the Monk Centre. I think Janice gives us all her opinions on foreign affairs on the public broadcasting stations here in Canada. 
a diverse society like ours should be able to do serious thinking about our role in the world outside government, and this is an enabling initiative. This is the first really national initiative in this area in half a century. So then it goes on to give all the media contacts to do with this particular story. So what they're doing basically are putting out their main fellows, they're all trained in this, just like agents, into all the universities across Canada, who will then direct policy to all the educators to give us new types of brainwashing for the globalist society. And not a nice fuzzy one, it's a different kind of uh, global society they have in mind, society of complete order, because we find these people at the top are basically fascist-orientated and they see themselves as them and us. We're all rather stupid little commoners at the bottom, or they're the elite intellectuals with all the honorary awards that are given or they give to each other at the top. And they have the right to say what goes on. But they're all really employees eventually. When you, when you really break it down off the big secret services like CSIS, uh, that's our branch of the CIA in Canada. And now that the CIA is integrated with CSIS, we're all one now anyway. And we're also integrated with MI6, Mossad, and a few other ones, and have been for quite some time. That's the reality of the world. We've been run by big organizations going way back to the days of Cecil Rhodes. Cecil Rhodes, who was put out there, who started up the first big foundation, multi-billion dollar foundation, actually, in today's terms, to recruit intellectuals, certain people with certain abilities to be road scholars for world government. They combined with uh, the, the Lord Milner Round Table Society, and they became the Council on Foreign Relations in America, and the Royal Institute for International Affairs in Britain, and the International Affairs Associations throughout the Commonwealth countries. They've been running a good part of the world since before World War II. And they have annual debates, annual meetings where thousands of them get together. Bankers go in there, politicians, ex-politicians, which are called technocrats, the movers and the shakers. And they basically plan out, with all the heads of the various think tanks, they plan out the future of the world. They plan out society's role. And all the, the big journalists and media personnel that you see on television to do with, with uh, journalism, they're all members themselves, too. We have lived in a controlled society our whole lives. And if you control information, you can control reality for most people because the information gives you what appears to be reality. They give you your opinions. They download them into you. They withhold certain information and leave you with other information or complete disinformation. And that's how we're run. And now that the supposed Cold War is over, they've done away with the little benefits they gave society in the West, or fringe benefits, your, your higher welfare, unemployment insurance, etc., uh, the perks that you, you got from employers, such as drug plans, they're just tossing them out the window. All the security you had, they're tossing them out the window. They don't have to pretend they're nice anymore. There's no competition. So fascism is on a roll. It's a role to take over the entire planet, and they're rather ruthless, as fascists always are. The signs are all there. And not only 
has it to do with the big foundations working hand in glove with governments, which is basically fascism, again, corporate fascism, because all these big foundations are headed by men who own international corporations. You're also seeing the police go the same way with their, their buying, their purchasing of military equipment. When your police are buying what basically are armored cars in very quiet countries, it's because something wicked this way comes and it's beginning to smell pretty bad. I'll be back with more after the following messages. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows that I'm Alan Watt, back with Cutting Through the Matrix and clearing the rubbish from the road because there's a lot of rubbish in our way and it's clouding our vision. And we've been pampered too long with our plastic credit cards and our all junk from China that keeps flooding the market that breaks after about a month. There's no problem in keep buying more with that plastic card, but that's going to end one day when the time is right because the big boys have decided they've spoiled us too long. They don't have to spoil us anymore. Now, just before I go on to what the police are up to, to get back to that last talk, this Royal Institute for International Affairs, or Canadian Institute for International Affairs, has created this new Department for Global Governance, basically, and it's called CIGI. And you can find that. It's CIGIonline.org. You can find their website. It's the Center for International Governance Innovation. And that's what they're calling it now. You see, they don't want to say government. That would spook us too much. So they call it governance. It sounds more fuzzy and kind of vague, and that's what they like. They like it all to be very, very vague. Look that up and there's quite a lot of information on there to do, again, with sustainable development and all the other things which are going to be used as a big stick on you and the near future. Now, here's, a, here's from Vancouver. Uh, it, it, we're watching the police, who, who are the biggest purchasers, by, by the way, right now, of military equipment. They're buying it up like crazy and have been for quite some time as they build up this internal police force which is an army force to take care of the future riots that they foresee coming down the pike. They haven't told us why they do foresee all these riots, but some of us know pretty well because one day we'll all be lining up for our bread and there'll be no more bread left, and that's what they see coming down in this brave new world that we're going into. And this is from the Vancouver Sun by Chantel Eustace. It's Vancouver Police Department to get armored vehicle. $270,000 Bearcat is needed for rescue operations. To rescue, listen to this now. See how they word things? Rescue operations. And it says here, this is Thursday, October the 18th, 2007. The Vancouver Police Department expects to order an armored rescue vehicle within a month. Again, rescue, rescue again. That's the Konya making the first police force in Canada to own one of the $270,000 Bearcats. The Vancouver Police Foundation raised more than $200,000 last week at a retirement roast for former Chief Jamie Graham to buy a Bearcat. 
I'll sleep a lot easier once we have one in town, <laughs> said Sergeant Norm Webster of the Vancouver Police Emergency Response Team, who has been campaigning for the Beer Cats for more than two years. I'm hoping that we'll be able to place an order within a month. But a criminologist said armored vehicles may present the wrong image of the police. No. The Police Foundation, they generally call it the Fraternity of Police. You should check that up because that's a brotherhood, folks. And if you want to know what brotherhood is, just look up handshakes. Which raises funds for things like police training and equipment. Gave the 700 guests at the roast fund a beer cat information forms listing the highly mobile armored truck's qualities, including, listen to this, this is the rescue vehicle, increased levels of safety during CBRNE, chemical, biological, radioactive, nuclear, and explosive incidents. Quite the rescue. These are going to be real heroes, these fellows, when they go and rescue people through all that. Ordinary police vehicles aren't built to withstand gunfire, Webster said, so police are vulnerable now during rescue operations. In the past... Webster said he and his team have had to take off their body armor during a rescue mission and stuff it into their squad car windows for increased fortification. Well, I stuffed, you know, paper towels into my windows to keep the draft out in the winter. But I don't ask for funding. One of the rounds from a hunting rifle would go right through a patrol car, said Webster. It doesn't really provide any ballistic protection for our members. By contrast, all six sides of the eight-ton Bearcat are armored, including the windows. Built on a commercial truck chassis, Bearcats are easy to drive, Webster said, and at 2.5 metres wide, they fit on most city roads. Well, I guess they'll expand the rest of the roads that don't come into most. They cost about $68 to fuel up, Webster said, estimating their annual operating cost to the city will be about $4,000 each. Ha, ha, ha. In addition to their swivel top, uh, rooftop escape hatches, which double as shields against gunfire, the beer cats are equipped with anti-lock brakes, air conditioning, cup holders, that's for their Tim Hortons coffee, and an AM, FM radio and CD player. There's enough seating for 10 people inside, but they don't have a color TV, do they? However, criminologist David McAllister said Monday that such vehicles might not be good for public perception of the police force. I don't even know if there is a public perception anymore. I really don't think the people think much at all. No doubt devices like this are handy, said McAllister, a professor at Simon Fraser University, but personally, I think it's going down the wrong road. I think it's just increased militarization of policing. Well, that's what it is. You don't have to think it, it is. And taking police away from the close connection they've had with the community historically. Armored trucks, he said, send out a strong message. It's almost the antithesis of foot patrol and bike patrol and community policing stations. I don't think it does a whole lot in terms of foistering good police relations when the public starts to see the police, in essence, as an armoured force. Now I hear the music coming up again, so I'll read the rest of this after the following messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows. Hey folks, and walk back with cutting through the matrix. And reading a bit from the Vancouver paper. 
to do with the Vancouver police in Canada, in British Columbia, uh, buying these armored vehicles. I mean, nothing much happens in these places, but here they are, uh, wanting all the toys. I mean, these characters read all the military magazines, you know, and they like to play cowboys, and probably did all their lives and played video games. Now they've got a chance to, to get all these goodies, these big toys, and they want to be Rambo. So they're buying these incredibly expensive armored vehicles. And it said here, this is the guy who's talking. He says, I don't think it does a whole lot in terms of fostering good police relations when the public starts to see police, in essence, as an armed force. Len Light, that's like the lion of the light, the light lion, the bright guy, president of Massachusetts-based Lenco Armored Vehicles, said he developed the Bearcat in 2000 as a, I love how they do this. It's like inventing atom bombs in a defensive measure, a defensive piece of equipment after watching newscasts of police struggling to protect themselves and victims in a high school shooting. doesn't say which one, though. There were not a lot of vehicles that could defeat high-powered weapons, said Light. More than 400 Bearcat LE vehicles, a version designed for law enforcement agencies, not the military, are in use across the U.S., he said. New York's police department has four of them, while the Virginia State Police have seven. Police cars obviously are not bulletproof, so police have been left out there, Light said. Their technology hasn't kept up to the current crime situation. Current crime situation, like it's going sky high, eh? Like who's kidding who? Light said the Bearcat is like a bunker on wheels. Now, why, why don't we use their terminology And uh, when, they, when they say someone's living in a compound? We'll call it a mobile compound. So it's a bunker on wheels or a mobile compound. Options include a night vision camera, underbody blast shielding to help protect against landmines and bombs, as well as radiation detective devices. I mean, this is incredible what they're after here. These are boys going crazy with these uh, order magazines that they're reading. Police officers and the people uh, and the people they work to protect will be safer once the new armored trucks arrive. Webster said, "I would hope that we have this truck, the Bearcat, never ever have to use it." Webster says, "I don't foresee that." Well, sure, sure. Webster said, "Once the Vancouver police have one Bearcat, they will start fundraising for a second. Well, why not half a dozen or a dozen? Why not one for every cop?" One is good, he said, but added that most police departments use these types of vehicles in tandem. And two is much, much better, as the Jesuits always used to say. And the Knights Templars, too, they always went in twos. So there you go. Uh, The police are buying all this military equipment because, and don't kid yourself, it's not just the whim of a police officer. All police chiefs across the country and in the States belong to the United Nations Association of Police Chiefs. And they have their own station that's put out on, on the, from the UN on satellite for them, and they get their own magazines telling them basically what's politically correct, what helps their career, and what to do to get up the ladder, the Jacob's Ladder. And they know what they, they must do, and they're buying all this stuff because they're basically told to. And this falls right in line with the Department of Defense's expose um, a couple of months ago that I read on air, from the Guardian newspaper, the declassified stuff that came out of the Department of Defense for Britain, which is also the head for NATO, remember, all NATO countries, including the U.S. and Canada, where they said they foresee nothing but riots and, and strife for the next 30 years without telling us why on earth Joe Sixpack would, would be turning off his television 
and rioting. So nasty things are designed to come down the pike, and we're seeing these police forces which have been using drugs to increase swell their ranks. Uh, that's, the, that's how they've been recruiting like crazy for 25 or 30 years, all in advance of what's to come. That's why they were doing it 30 years ago. That's how far ahead they plan the future. They plan 50 and 100 years, 200 years down the road. And they foresaw what's to come within the next 10, 15 years or so. Riots, etc. As we start to go down to the third world type status, this world is going to be run by experts where you don't pick and choose what you want to do or who you want to mate with or anything else. You're told what to do. In fact, they said themselves, you will not be born unless there's a job for you to fill to serve the world state. And this is all about service. You'll find all through the Royal Institute for International Affairs propaganda, the term service is all through Cecil Rhodes as well. Service, service, service. And that's to be the function of the new society in the near future, the shape of things to come. Now, Lord Bertrand Russell wrote two books in the early 20s, or even before the 20s, and one was entitled Roads to Freedom. It's worth reading because you got to understand their devil speak and their definition of freedom and who they're actually talking about being free. And you also got to read his other book, which was Education and the Good Life, and how they could scientifically indoctrinate generations of children to be good little citizens who wouldn't think too much. In fact, they'd be incapable of thinking too much and they would never cause much problems to their betters, you know, that elite uh, aristocratic group that runs the world. Well worth reading. And Bertrand Russell was given royal charters by the British Crown to carry out his agenda and his experiments. He was doing things with youngsters then that anyone else would be put in prison for, just like Skinner, the behaviorist in psychology, who even put his own daughter in what he called the cage for experimental purposes. These are the heroes of this elite who helped plan this coming society that's not far off. Now, in fact, we're, we're underway and going into it. And now, shortly, you'll see these armored vehicles going around your little spud and farm towns, uh, burning up their diesel, which you pay for, of course, and tossing their Tim Hortons mugs out the window once they're empty. So that's what's coming along the pipe, the militarization of the police's standard and fascism. Read up the history of communism and fascism go as far back as Plato, because Plato went through all of these systems, yep, all that time ago, 2,300 years ago. And what they always do is give a period of what appears to be socialism or communism, and then because of the strife that it creates, in comes the other group to oppose it, the fascist group, they take over, and then you have dictatorship. So, and they call it democracy during this fascist phase, but it actually leads to dictatorship always. And that was noted all that time ago, and nothing changes. We're going into a global system, and this is where all the top psychopaths compete with each other to be the first king of the whole planet, king of the world. And there's only one throne there, you see, and they all have tremendous egos, so hopefully they'll, they'll start fighting each other at the top. That's the one thing we have going in our favor, because psychopaths crave power uh, as an addict craves his drug. 
they can't stop themselves, but they can cooperate up until that level, and we have to go through that hell until they start fighting with each other. And what we got to watch too is we, we stop. We don't fight with each other. They have divided society, not only from parent to parent or man from woman, and all things in between. Everyone's arguing with everyone else. Uh, parents are divided from their, their their children, and generations literally don't really talk to each other. They're all in their little compartments as they grow up and stay in those compartments as they grow up. We've got to start coming together, see the big picture here and realize, hey, we're all in trouble. And so all the petty little differences that there are better be thrown out the window uh, while we come together and stop this because to allow this to go ahead is to lead into a horror, a nightmare that this world hasn't seen hasn't seen, we've seen it on smaller scales in nations and so on, but we've never seen it on a global scale where the scientists will have the same authority the priests used to have as they burned you at the stake. And who wants to go back to, to the, the, the days where both the Soviets and the Hitlerites were measuring your skull and taking uh, the little measurements off your nose and how long your ear was and all this kind of stuff? And we're seeing that emerge in the, in the major psychological uh, magazines today. Same stuff, uh, that, that the shape of the ear and so on, and a little crease over the eyebrow might dictate this person has criminal tendencies when he grows up. This is all come, all this voodoo is coming back into the supposed so-called sciences, these new religions they call sciences, and they're being used again. We're seeing all of the symptoms of the disease right in front of us right now. And now, of course, they're bringing out the big cameras to, at airports and subways, etc., with the same kind of uh, data in it to look for certain traits in your face, traits in your face. And if they, this little computer says you're stressed out and, and could go berserk, you're going to find yourself flat on the ground and tasered. That's what's coming in this brave new totalitarian world of theirs. As I say, something wicked this way comes. Uh, they also say that ignorance is bliss, and, and it's true for the majority of the public, it'll be bliss until it hits them. The only ones it really affects right now are those who know. And I tell them, don't become terrified, become active. You've got to speak out now and say, no, enough of this, enough of this. And we better get on to these big foundations, too, that claim that they're speaking for us, even though we don't elect them. And they're going off on these strange, weird tangents that we have no say in. We've got to speak up now and say no more. They have no more influence with governments. They're separate from governments. We better keep them apart because once they're combined together, you're under, you truly are under this brave new pre-planned world where they will start depopulating in a big way, bigger than they've been doing it so far. We don't live in a in a, a beautiful society. He lived in a planned society. They're talking about not only planned parenthood, which means abortion, they're talking about the planned society in general. They've already got what they claim are the maximal, maximum sustainable numbers for every particular country on the planet. And they discuss these things at the big meetings. They also discuss ways of bringing those populations down. I watched one program about two years ago on the public broadcasting to do with the United Nations, 
and how they were helping certain bushmen over in Africa. And what they did was to guarantee them a little credit card if they got themselves sterilized. Now, that was the condition. If you want to eat, we're going to sterilize you. And they gave them this little chain and a credit card. And once a month, this little white van uh, goes through the sandy uh, land, pulls up, and the guy goes in, and he can buy a few tins of beans and so on, the price of his Charlie's. And that's been done. That's how, that's how they, they'll plan to eventually run the whole world. Because according to the elite, going all the way back to the days of Thomas Malthus, one of the first big major liars who was very, very good at twisting any facts and what he wanted them to be, came out with the depopulation programs for the commoners and how to build homes for them on swamps and so on so they'll die off all the quicker. He was also the man who spoke on behalf of the British East India Company and the British royalty for Britain and said and even measured the distance in the poor houses that patients should be set apart so that lice and various other contaminant uh, uh, infestations could travel between the patients and kill them off all the quicker. He was a beautiful hero to a lot of the economists, one of the top economists of his day, and that Malthusian theory has never really gone out the window. It's still working amongst some of the elite. And I've heard some of them talk about the commoners, and they talk exactly as old Thomas did. As some of the bankers I've spoken to in the past uh, really believe that they give the people jobs. They give the people work by their loans, their incredible, uh, dirty, overpriced uh, interest rate loans. And they have no respect for the ordinary people whatsoever. And you know something? The more the public take of corruption at the top, which we see more and more and more as every year passes on, the less they respect us for not even complaining about it. But it also tells you that the corruption has spread down to the lowest levels of society. A good society cannot or would not tolerate corruption at the top, especially at the, at the amount we have today. So it's because the person at the very bottom has become as corrupt too. They don't really mind the guys at the top. They understand them to an extent being corrupt and filling their own pockets. But the time is coming where the taxpayer will no longer be able to fund all these big projects and that's where we're going to be put to the workhorse to, to really start turning the old grindstone for them uh, for a service type pay probably by tokens and Bertrand Russell said that eventually he said they'd phase out money they'd claim that money itself was of no, that like you couldn't go on anymore in a new society with inflation etc and the governments then would dish out into the accounts of every citizen the, the credits. And you'd get credits every Monday. You'd have to use them up by Friday because on Monday it would start again with the same amount. You could not save up your credits. So this is what they meant by an equal society. Equal for you, mind you, but there'd be higher benefits for those bureaucrats and technocrats that will run your lives all discussed 50 and 70 and 100 years ago. That's all coming down our way now. And unfortunately, as I say, we've been brainwashed through a scientific education, scientifically controlled education. Groupthink for individuality has been all but crushed 
and where you're ostracized if you are an individualist with independent ideas. You're called antisocial. You don't belong to the groupthink. You won't go along with groupthink. You're antisocial. And if they haven't got you on Ritalin already, they'll find some way to try and get you on it because they've got to disable that brain of yours one way or another. And for years now, they've been picking mainly on young men. It's pretty much all men that are on all these Ritalin-type drugs. And these men would be the leaders in a new society and because they're extroverted and they ask questions. They're not shy. These are the ones who've been singled out to be diffused before they become a problem. This is the same technique that Britain was famous for. When they had revolutions in countries, they would start different groups, and they would take in radicals, as they called them, and when the revolutions were over, they'd round them up because they did not want those same people being around with their knowledge and their abilities when they realized that this new victory was no victory at all and that they're going on a different course. The communists did exactly the same thing. They used agencies to help them get into power, the Bolsheviks, and then once they were in, they rounded up these different groups of radicals and eliminated them. Those were the first ones who were eliminated. They knew too much, and they would complain when they saw this revolution going off in some strange tangent that was opposed to where they'd started off with in the first place. That's where we're going in this brave new world. Something Wicked This Week comes, and I'll be back after the following messages. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Hi, folks. On what back the last few minutes of cutting through the matrix. Just to round off tonight, it was reported in the weekend's paper that Toronto is putting in an over 12,000 cameras in the TTC, that's the subway and the bus depots and so on, across the city. And this will be interfaced with the ones in the streets and the police, etc. A huge interfacing of all camera networks. So you'll be same as London. You'll be much, much safer that way. And no doubt they'll put the same mics in that they put in London with boom mics. They can hear you talking 200 yards away in a doorway to your friends. And they have huge uh, uh, buildings set up in London. It'll be the same in Toronto. No point having cameras if you don't have these huge rooms with hundreds of sets watching every different area and all these people employed to observe you and take the data and record what you're saying. So that's going up right now. This was decided, by the way, about six years ago when the same company that sold them all over Britain, again, with the good fascist uh, connections, came over to Montreal to give a, a discussion there to the police for Canada uh, and uh, the U.S. police all came, sent delegations up too, and they put in all of their orders for, again, this brave new world, this fishbowl that we're all going to live in, uh, where, where nothing can be kept hidden since they put all your information on the, on, on the Internet 
And also, you can't do anything because you'll be watched everywhere you go. That's what they call peace and security, no privacy whatsoever. The very thing that people fought wars for in the past was to have privacy because people, the ordinary people in most countries in Europe had none. Your house could be invaded or inspected at any time at all, and you felt be ashamed when these people would come through your home and go through everything because you were just a renter. And people literally had wars over these, these particular invasions of privacy. Now they want to watch everything you do because in a totalitarian system, you must be predictable and they must have all data on you at all times and know exactly what you're up to. That's the brave new world that we're going into while the people munch on their chips, watch their TV and laugh their heads off or watch the sports as their team beats the world and, and they feel great because most men today, you see, have no power in their life anywhere, whether at work or at home. And here they are pretending they belong to a team that represents them, the old tribal instinct idea. And he also has road rage because it's the only place he feels just some power is on that road when he overtakes everyone at dangerous corners. That's how bad society is today. So we're going into the, the, the fascist system. We're in it, actually. We've been in it for quite some time. It's just coming out in the open as it really is. Now, for those who sent donations, I thank you very much. I often try to get back to people. I'm overwhelmed with work. Uh, bear with me, and please keep it coming, because I need this to keep going. For myself and Hamish the dog up here in Ontario, Canada, it's good nights, and may your God or your gods go with you.